we're going to be reading from uh, 1 John, um, and that can be found if you've got one of these blue Bibles on page uh, 1227, Um, and we're going to be looking at chapter 4, starting at verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Good evening, everyone. Um, Please do keep your Bibles open in front of you. Um, We're going to be following along with what we've just read. And let me pray for us just one more time. Father God, there is an awful lot in the passage we just read. And we could spend hours talking, discussing, reading, getting our minds around it and still be so far away from getting every little last bit of goodness out of this, even this tiny bit of your word. But we pray that by the power of your spirit, you would enable us in just a few minutes, just this next bit of time, to understand what you want to say to us. We pray that you would, um, even as we grapple with it and try to understand it, go beyond what our words can do, what my words can do, in teaching us what you are like, in helping us rejoice in your love, and in transforming us to be more like Jesus. We pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen. Well, when um, Harry and Meghan, 
the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. Is that right? Duke, Sussex? I'm going to go with Sussex. Um, when they got married recently, um, their wedding sermon was given by someone called Bishop Michael Curry. Now, I wish I could preach like Bishop Michael Curry. Um, you may have seen excerpts of it. You might have even seen the whole thing. Um, quite a guy. Um, wh- and there's just a little quote from what he said. The whole thing was about love. He said, there's power in love. Don't underestimate it. Don't even over-sentimentalize it. There's power, power in love. He quoted Martin Luther King, who said, we must discover the power of love, the redemptive power of love. And when we do that, we will make of this old world a new world. For love is the only way. Now, I wish I could preach like him. I I can't. Um, But if you maybe saw that on the news or maybe listened to bits of it, you'll know it was quite quite popular. People liked it. Even people who wouldn't you know, normally listen to a church sermon, who would switch off in the kind of Bible bit of a wedding service, they, they liked it. He tapped into something. He captured people. He kept, tapped into what I think was that our society is on the search for love. I don't just mean just kind of feelings and kind of fluffiness. I mean... Big love, powerful love, redemptive love. Our society, maybe even us as humans, I think Jonathan said a few weeks ago, we're obsessed with love, and I think that's true. Our favourite songs are all about love. One of my favourite songs. Um, When the song that really got Coldplay, I know that's kind of sad, but really got them noticed, says, your skin, yeah, your skin and bones turn into something beautiful. You know for you I'd bleed myself dry. And that just kind of, well, maybe not for you, but for me, it kind of gets me. Something big and powerful in that love. All of our favorite stories. And favorite story of my three-year-old daughter in Frozen, when Princess Anna throws herself in front of Queen Elsa, in front of the sword. And then true love thaws a frozen heart, and you go, oh, that gets you. Gets me. Or maybe for you, it's Harry Potter. Whether it's Harry's mother for Harry or Harry for his friends, or Dumbledore for Draco. The point where we catch our breath, the point where we shed a tear, the point where it grips us is when there's love, deep love, powerful love, self-sacrificial love. The stories we tell, the stories we love, show that we think love is somehow the answer. That love is all we need, that it'll fix something. That it might be able to fix politics. An election campaign in a country that is so divided, maybe like never before, that it can fix a country where the, the president of that country is being impeached because people are not sure whether they can trust what he says. And those are the civilized countries, the law-abiding countries. Then you have other countries, places where nine people, women, mothers and children can become collateral damage in a drug war just for speaking out. The world is so broken on a relational level, if we could only find a love that's big enough to fix that. Or individually in our own lives. Maybe some of our relationships are broken. We know what family relationships, what it's like when that's broken. Or even if they're stable, we still know what it's like to feel insecure in relationships, to feel like you have to hide. Like there isn't the kind of love there that can really accept you and really take you as you are and really accept you despite all those things. And we're certainly unable to love like this, to give this kind of a love. It's a love that has to come from outside of us. 
Gabrielle Aplin re-recorded Frankie Goes to Hollywood song, The Power of Love. Listen to the words, the power of love, a force from above, cleaning my soul. The power of love, the force from above, a skyscraping dove. And the story goes, if we can find that love, if we could somehow tap into that kind of love that was big enough and powerful enough and redemptive enough, it could fix everything. It could fix the world. It could fix us. But we never quite find it as humanity. That's why the story is still going on. And another old song. Bobby Williams sang, When there's no love in town, this new century keeps bringing you down. All the places you've been, trying to find a love supreme, a love supreme, we're looking for love. And we ask, is there such a love, a love that's big enough, that can cover all of those things, powerful enough to heal and unite, big enough to cover us as we are, enough to make us accepted, secure, to take away our fear. Does that love even exist? How can I find it? How can I tap into it? How will I know when I found it? The people this letter was written to weren't asking that question. At least, that wasn't the big question for them. Their big question was, how can I be confident? Um, If you remember, they they were in the church, and these people who used to be in that church had left. They started to believe some other things and then gone off. And that hurt them. And they were confused. With, are they right? Are we right? But they, those other people started sending teachers back to them, trying to convince them they should leave. And then they're really confused. How can I know what the truth is? How can I be confident? How can I know I really know God? Maybe that's you this evening. How can I know I really know God? So these two questions. How, is there a love like that? How can I find it? How can I be confident? And John is writing as someone who knew Jesus, who saw Jesus, touched Jesus, heard Jesus, spoke with Jesus. And he's writing. And in, in this passage, those two questions come together. And he says there is a love that's supreme, a love that's big enough, that's love powerful enough, redemptive enough. There's a love big enough for all of that. He's going to blow our minds with God's love. And he's going to say that when you encounter that love, it does something in you. It changes you. It transforms you. And when it does, then you can know. Then you know you've really met God. Then you know you can really be confident. You know God lives in you when you love like he loves. That's where we're going. You know God lives in you when you love like he loves. So, John starts off talking about an ultimate love, a supreme love, God's love. This is verses 7 to 10. Verse 7, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. He's talking about the source of love, where it comes from. And he says, Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God because God is love. The source of love. Now, There are some famous words in here, that God is love, and people get confused about that. They try and turn it around. Does that mean that love is God? It's not saying that. Or they might go, well, love... So this means love is kind of a part of God, like his holiness, his wisdom, his justice, but it's like the biggest part, the most powerful part. It's not saying that either. Best way to explain it. Um, City Church is about 20 years old, just over 20 years old. And it was founded by three pastors, by John, by Neil... And by Hugh. And in those first, what was about 10 years or so, you could have come to City Church and you could have in some way said, 
Neil, Hugh and John, they are City Church. And you go, well, hang on. That's a really small church. No, that's not the point. They are City Church. They're the pastors. They they lead it. They have the vision. They're the ones in charge. They are City Church. It's from them. They started it. Or up until a few years ago, you could have said, Alex Ferguson, he is Manchester United. How is he going to win the Champions League? One, one rather elderly man running around on a football field. That's not the point. He is Manchester United. All the, the strategy, all of where it comes from, he's made them who they are. He is Manchester United. Or a sillier example. This is one I heard this week. Um, KFC. On the logo of KFC, you've got that guy called the Colonel. He was um, actually the founder of KFC. He invented the kind of the finger-licking good spice mix. And he owned and operated these, these stores when it came out in the States. And you could have said in those early days, the colonel, he is KFC. Really? He, he, he is battered fried chicken? That's what he is? No, no, no. You, you know what it means, okay? You, you get it. It's from him. He's the source of it. He's where it comes from. He's what it's about. It's saying that God is love. He is the source of love. Love isn't a part of God. It's saying there's no love apart from God. He is like like a power station generating love. Sending out love, distributing love. But power stations need fuel. So maybe he's he's like a star. And his heart, this white hot furnace generating love. As it pours out. As it radiates out from him. And any love out there in creation, any love that you see, that has come from that star. From the heart of that star. From God. And straight away you see... This love is going to be big. If God is infinite, this love is going to be big, it's going to be deep, it's going to be enough, it's going to be sufficient, never ending, never exhausted. And also it's going to be different. Because God is different from us. It's going to be a love that's eternal, that's unchanging, that's beyond us, a love that's holy. In fact, so far beyond us that How do we get our heads around that? Well, verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. This is the definition of love. He sent his one and only son, his unique son, his precious son. Go at the beginning of this letter, and this is what John calls the word. So, who was with God in the beginning, who was forever with the Father in perfect love and relationship and joy, he became flesh. And he came down and became one of us. Why? Verse 9, so that we could live through him. And in John's writing, that means to be connected to him. To know him. To have his life coming into us. To have a relationship with God through Jesus. To be plugged into that power station, that source of love. He sent his son to connect us to God. But there's more, verse 10. Please look down at this verse with me. This is love, not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And we're going to pause here because this is an amazing verse. We're going to walk through it little by little. First, this is love. Now we're going to go a little bit, little bit deeper here. In the Greek language, there are different words for love. Um, the common ones being eros, that's romantic love, and philia, that's kind of, kind of friendship love. So love to those who can love you. You Kind of scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Love that gives and takes. 
This is a different word. This is agape. This means self-sacrifice. Jonathan called it a few weeks ago gift love. Love that's self-giving, self-sacrificial, that gives to the other even when it hurts. Love that puts the other one first. Love that commits to someone who can't commit or won't give back to you. And you need to know this love was not seen as honourable when John was writing. This love was seen as weak, as despised. The gods in those days would sometimes be spoken of as loving men, but they, they would filia men. They would have the kind of give and take love. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Do you, you do something for me, I'll bless you. This God, agapes. Gift love, cross love. Pouring out self-sacrifice. This is love. Not that we loved. Don't look at human love for the definition of love. You won't find it on Tinder. You won't find it in the newly engaged couple or on the wedding day or even on the 60th wedding anniversary. You won't find it in the most perfect family, in the parent who sacrifices everything for their child's ambitions, in the adult who cares for their elderly parents. You won't find it. You'll find a reflection of it, something that holds up a mirror to that supreme love, but you won't find the supreme love. This is love, not that we loved, not that we love God, because we didn't. And that's the story of the Bible, that we didn't love God. We should have done. That's what love does. Love sees something lovely and loves it. Love sees something beautiful and says, that's beautiful, and holds on to it. But we didn't. We were faced with the most beautiful, lovely, worthy, honorable, holy, majestic, glorious God. And instead of loving him, we cursed the light and we ran into the darkness. We swore blind that good was bad and bad was good until we couldn't tell the difference anymore. We didn't love him. And so we became unlovely. His enemies, hiding in the dark. And yet this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. In our darkness, in our shame, in our blindness, in our brokenness, in our wrongness, in our rebellion against him. When everything said that he should reject us, he loved us. His, into our darkness, his light shone. He loved us when we were unlovely to make us lovely. His true love thawed our frozen hearts. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son. His infinitely precious, worthy son. Now, I have two sons. I wouldn't give either of them to anybody, and they are nothing like this son. He gave his son to the horror of nails and spears and lashing and whipping and beating and a crown of thorns. But worst of all, our punishment, what we deserved, everything that we should have had coming at us for the way that we had kicked him out of his own world, and he put it all on his son. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. For us, for you, for me. He bled himself dry to make you into something beautiful. If you're a Christian, you have been loved like that. This is a love big enough to encompass a broken world. This is a love strong enough to fix it. 
A love bright enough to chase away all the darkness. A love wide enough to bring together Brexiteers and Remainers. Drug barons and um, nuns. And bring them all together to God. Powerful enough to clean your soul. Deep enough to cover all of the cracks. To take you as you are. All of the failure. All of the brokenness. All of the wrongness. To cover it all. And gracious enough never to ask you to pay. Never to bring it up again. Gentle enough to take all the pieces and to put you back together. This is love. Not that we love God. But that he loved us. And sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is the supreme love. And it burns in God's heart for you. And anything else is a pale reflection of a cheap imitation. If you're here and you're not a Christian, are you at all aware of this search, of this looking for love? If you are, you can search the whole universe for a billion years until the stars burn out. You will never find anything like this. If you're thinking, I, I do want to find that love. I want to, I want to know real love. Here it is. This is it. This is the love supreme. This is the ultimate love. If you are a Christian, theologian John Calvin said, here is a, a more than wonderful goodness which ought to ravish our minds with amazement. And yet so often it doesn't. And I can tell that because none of you are on your chairs jumping up and down. Very few of you, well, none of you, I don't think, are, you know, weeping uncontrollably. We're not amazed by this, and we should be. Has God's love become cheap to you? Has God's love become familiar? Do you go, yeah, God loves me? If that's you, then can I say, when you get home tonight, take out your Bible and look at this verse and just pray it through. And just ask God to let you see it and grasp his love for you until it takes your breath away. Because that's what it should do. God's love. That's the source. That's the definition. I'm going to get moving now. It has a goal. Verse 12. This is how God's love is made complete among us. Now is he saying God's love is incomplete? There's something missing? No, no, no. He's saying God's love has a goal. God's love is sent into the world to do something. And when Jesus dies on the cross... God's love has not yet finished. When Jesus is raised, God's love hasn't finished yet. When someone becomes a Christian, God's love hasn't finished yet. When we have God's Holy Spirit in us, his love still has more to go, more to do. Twice in this passage he uses this phrase, God's love being made complete. There are two things God's love is meant to do in us. First one, verses 7 to 12, God's love makes us loving. Verse 12, John says, No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. God's love is made complete. The goal of God's love, it it completes its mission when it creates a people who love each other. Verse 7, he says, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who knows God is born of God. Let's just think about that language, being born of God for a minute. Because parents pass on characteristics to their children. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm fairly tall. My brothers are quite tall. My dad's quite tall. So I imagine you know, my children are going to be tall. If you have two people who are both from Nigeria and they have a child, that child is going to be ethnically Nigerian. But, but it's not just physical characteristics. Think of Lewis Hamilton. 
perhaps one of the greatest racing drivers ever. He doesn't have kids, I don't think, but imagine if he had a son. You imagine him in a little plastic car driving around the house, don't you? You don't imagine him being the kind of, you know, just sit down at a desk and just just, just colouring in all day. Not that kind of child. You don't imagine that he wouldn't like driving. It's unthinkable that someone born of Lewis Hamilton would fail their driving tests. Or think of Harry Kane. You don't imagine Harry Kane's children as not being good at football. Being the last to be picked for the team in the playground. It's unthinkable that those born of Harry Kane would be rubbish footballers. Or coming back to physical appearance, Brad Pitt. It's unthinkable that those born of Brad Pitt would be weedy and ugly. John says you've been born of God. It is unthinkable that you would not love. Because God is love. You're born of him, you love. That's how you know you're born of him. God's love comes to you. It invades you and it changes you. Verse 11. If God has so loved us, we ought to love one another. It does that. God's love creates a love within us. Now we're going to come back to this in a bit, but let me just apply a few things here. If for some of you this is kind of uncomfortable, talking about love, if that's kind of wishy-washy, we like when John was talking about the truth test. Yes, I get, get the right things to believe, and that's important. Or when John's talking about the obedience test, get my life sorted and do the right things, be pure, be holy, and that's important too. But sometimes, maybe particularly in an evangelical church, conservative church, we, we kind of prefer the head stuff rather than the fluffy heart stuff. But we need to hear this. The quality of our relationships, particularly with one another in a church, matters enormously. And it's when we exhibit that cross-love, self-sacrificing love for each other, love that costs, that shows you're born of God. It makes us loving. And you all know people who, they've got the truth bit, and they've got the kind of the good life bit, but they're cold. And John says, verse 8, whoever does not love does not know God. If you don't love, you don't know God. And this matters, especially in church life, because at some point someone is going to hurt you. They might, they might not mean it. They might just be inconsiderate. They might just say something wrong. They might just do something without thinking about it. And you're going to be tempted to just get really bitter them you're gonna be tempted to get all passive aggressive on them maybe and you know be polite to their face but then tell other people how terrible they've been and refuse to have any any kind of you know relational contact with them john says flip over to verse 20 if we claim to love god but hate a brother or sister we're a liar verse 21 this is the command whoever loves god must love their brother and sister you're born of god is unthinkable that you wouldn't love his family if God so loved us, we ought to love each other. And if we don't do that, just as we don't know God. And for some of us here, that, that, that means there's something to sort out. A conversation to have. Something to fix. Something to put right. God's love makes us loving. But see, there's something else here. Something else in verse 12. Look at that again. No one has ever seen God. What are you talking about that for? No one's ever seen God. Well, if you go back to John's Gospel, they're written by the same person. The Apostle John, who knew Jesus. He says, at the beginning of John's Gospel, no one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son, Jesus, 
He has made him known. So no one sees God, he's invisible, but Jesus has made him known. Here, he says, no one has ever seen God at any time, but if we love, God's love is made complete. God is invisible. He sends his son to make him known. God is invisible. He becomes known as we love one another. As we love one another as Christians, if you're a Christian, it shows the world what the invisible God looks like. It makes him visible. Let me explain that a little bit. In the ancient world, as far as I can tell, Christians were known for three things. One, they believed weird stuff. They were called atheists. People just couldn't get their heads around what these Christians believed. They were hated for it. Number two, they had radical ethics. If you think the gap between Christians now and the secular world now is big, go to ancient Rome and see how big the gap was there. They had different ethics, and again, they were hated for that. But what really made people sit up and take notice was these Christians loved like nobody else. Ancient Rome, when people had no problem really leaving out you know, newborn baby girls on the hillside to die because they wanted a male, who would go and gather them in and raise them? The Christians. When there was a plague and people were dying and everyone left the city, who was it that stayed? The Christians. To tend to the dying, to feed those who couldn't leave, to bury the dead. The Christians stayed, the Christians loved. Emperor Julian, who was not a Christian, um, he's recorded um, as writing that the Christians not only care for their own widows, their own needy people, but, but all the other needy people as well. When the pagans couldn't even care for their own needy people. He even told his own pagan priests, you've got to do what the Christians are doing. Go out and love people because then that will revive our pagan religion. Didn't work couldn't sustain it they weren't connected to that source of love no one loved like those christians it showed the character of the invisible god if you're not a christian if you're just looking into christian things you want to know the see the truth of christianity now there are ways you can do that there are ways you can look at the history look at the evidence look at the gospels look at where this came from we've got resources right here for you to do that look at the book table on your way out come and chat to me to hugh to one of the other elders we'd love to do that But one of the most compelling ways you can see it is by watching Christians. By seeing how they live. You should be able to see them love each other in a different way. And when you see that, you're seeing Jesus. You're seeing the connection to his love. Him as the source. If you are a Christian, let me encourage you to let people into your life. It can be tempting to kind of hold people off at arm's length because you're a bit scared of what they might see. But no, no, let them in. Let them see what's going on in your life. Let them get up close. Let them see how you relate to people. Because they should see love oozing out of you. Think about, if you're a Christian, how you became a Christian. Now, for, for a few people, it, it was just academic. And then they just you know, looked at the evidence and you know, it, it stacked up and so they became a Christian. But for, for many, many people, there was someone. And you saw how they lived. You saw how they loved And that was a big part of convincing you that that was true. Couldn't you be that person for somebody else? Let them see it. Now, caveat. I'm not saying only Christians love. Or that only Christians do loving things. Now, in God's grace to all people, there is still an imprint of God on all people. People can be loving. 
But whether that's, it's acknowledged or not, the source of that is still God. It's still from him. And because there isn't that life-giving connection to God through Jesus, it will always be a struggle. Okay, God's love makes us loving. When he comes to live in us, when we're born of God, it makes us loving. You know God lives in you when you love like he loves. That's the first effect. He makes us loving. Second effect, it makes us confident. I just remind ourselves of where these people were. They were confused. They didn't know what was true. They didn't know what was right. They were wondering, are we in the wrong? Have we got the real deal here? And maybe that's you. Maybe you're thinking, is this thing true? Is there anything there? Or maybe I think it is true, but I'm not sure I've really got it. I'm not sure I've really nailed what it is to be a Christian. Or other people, does God really love me? Am I really secure? Has he really forgiven me? And you carry guilt around with you. And you never quite shake that off. Because I did that thing. John wants to reassure you. John wants to make you confident. Look at verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us. So that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. God wants you to be confident. The goal of his love is your confidence. So as long as you're comparing yourself to other Christians and trying to outdo them. God's love isn't finished with you. As long as you're worried about the future. God's love isn't done with you. As long as you're scared that God might not really have forgiven you, that you might not really know God, God's love isn't done with you. Now these verses are pretty dense. And to be honest, I've been banging my head against them for most of the week. But start there at verse 17. This is how love is made complete among us to give us confidence on the day of judgment. In this world we are like Jesus. He's saying... We're like Jesus in some way, and because of that, we can be confident. Now, let's just try and just kind of skim over the other verses to show you what I think is happening. Verse 13, the Spirit connects me to God. This is how we know we live in him, how we're connected to him. This is a, this live in, you might have abide in or remain in your Bibles, is a big word. It means to be connected to God like, like uh, the branch of a vine is connected to the plant. Like they're one, that you get your energy, your life from the plant. That's what it means to live in God by the Spirit He's given us. And remember last week, the Spirit, the Spirit is the one who helps to know truth. Verse 14, the Spirit connects me to God as I believe the message of His love. So John says, We we have seen and testify, we apostles, we know what has happened, and we're saying that to you. And when you believe that message of God's love, that he sent his son as your saviour, verse 15, God comes to live in you. When you accept that message, God comes to live in you. You you get that connection. You live in God and he lives in you. And verse 16, what he does there is to make you loving. We know and rely on what? This message of love, on God's love for us. And God who is love comes to live in us. And we've just seen he, what he does there. He transforms you. He makes you loving. So when he says in verse 17, we're like Jesus, this is what he means. He means we've believed this message of God's love. And so God has come into our lives and he is love and he's made us loving. So how are we like Jesus? Because we love like Jesus. That's how we're like him. Now if you didn't follow that, that's okay. Let me use an illustration which will clear everything up for you. Okay. Imagine you walk into a cold room. I know it's not that, that difficult to imagine that at the moment. 
You walk into a cold room and there's a radiator on the wall and it's meant to heat up the room, but it's not heating up the room because it's cold. And you think, well, what's wrong? Isn't it connected to the boiler? Is there even a boiler? Who knows? Like, there's just a cold radiator. I don't know. You only know when it's hot. You only know when it's receiving that hot water from the boiler, receiving that heat and completing the circuit, sending it back so it can be reheated and giving out that heat into the room and warming it up. We are meant to be radiators for God's love in the world. That's when God's love is complete. That's when the cycle and the circuit is completed, when his love comes to us and then our love flows back to him. But then it heats us up. And so his love flows out from us into the world, into those around us. And when we are hot with his love, there is no mistaking. Of course there's a boiler. Of course he's real. How do I know? Because his love has come into me and I can see it coming out of me to other people. You know God lives in you when you love like he loves. And what John says in these verses about fear, we haven't got time to go into them in too much detail, but he's saying, when you see God's love coming out of you, when you're so secure in the fact that he lives in you and his love is replicating and breathing like a virus inside you, you can look forward to the day of judgment. Knowing you will stand before God who knows everything you are, everything you've done, exactly how far short you fell. And you can stand there and not fear. You can look at that day now and say, I will not fear. Because he will say, I recognize you. You look like my son. You love like he did. So the big, the big application for this for most of us is just be confident. Look for these things. Look for, and look at your life and see, do I see that? Do I see that love coming out of me? Now, not perfectly, not being all like Jesus all at one go, but, but, but change. Can you look back and say, well, I don't love like I should, but I love more than I did. Maybe a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. Ask people to help you to see it if you can't see it yourself. John says when we see that, it casts out fear. It chucks it out. And you know what? I see this in City Church. And it's one of the privileges of being a pastor, of being an elder of a church. You get to see this. You get to see the million unseen ways. When someone just is hurt but doesn't make a thing of it and forgives. When someone takes around a meal. When someone gives a lift stays up late to talk, gives emotional energy, when someone gives up their plans for someone else, when someone gives time and moves towards someone who's not like them, gives up their own plans, picks up someone else's burden, that's a thousand practical ways of picking up a cross for someone else's sake. This is happening in City Church. And it shows that we are connected to God. That his love is in us. So look for those things, give thanks for them, and be confident in them. Not because it shows that we're great people, but because it shows that we have discovered that supreme love and been changed by it. That's for most of us. Be, be confident. But just maybe you're feeling like you don't have that confidence. Maybe you don't see that happening in your life. And as we come to a closing, there are two possibilities there. So one is that you're, you're just not connected. You've never been connected. Never experienced this love. Maybe you're not a Christian, you've come in here and it's, it's a little bit like walking into a, a warm room on a cold day. And you don't really understand kind of, you know, 
what people are saying and what they believe, but that there's something there. And they love each other. It would be a mistake for you to go out from here and say, well, I'm going to try and love people. I'm going to replicate that. One, you won't be able to. You won't be able to sustain it because you're not connected to that source. But secondly, because being loving doesn't make someone a child of God. It doesn't connect you to him. It's the evidence that someone is connected. And what you need is to connect yourself to God or get connected to God through Jesus. Verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. His love comes first. And the first move is to go to him and say, I want to be connected. I want to know this love. Thank you that you have shown me this love in Jesus. And if that's you, come and talk to me. Come and talk to Dom, who's leading, or um, one of the welcome team. We'd love to talk to you about that. Or maybe you, you, know, you have been connected, but maybe you just can't, you've turned off the radiator valves. And you know, the, the boiler's still there, there's a connection, but you, God's love isn't flowing through you. You're not receiving it, not owning it, not knowing it. And what you need to do is just open up those valves on the radiator again and grasp God's love for you. Don't just go out there and say, well, I'm just going to go and love people. You, again, you won't, be able to do, you won't be able to keep that up. What you need to do is to see, appreciate God's love for you again. A word you might hear used is meditate on God's love. What? Which means think about it. What about learning this verse, verse 11? Sorry, verse 10. This is love, not that we love God. Why not put that on your phone screen? Set an alarm twice a day, and when the alarm goes off, you just take a moment, you look at it, you read it, and in your quietness of your mind, you just pray and say, thank you, God, that you've shown me that love. And just see how that changes. You see what that does in you. Get his love flowing through you again until you're warm. And see what difference that makes. Well, we started with that quote, didn't we? There's power in love. There is power in love. The supreme love. It only comes through Jesus. But when that love lives in you, it makes you loving and it makes you confident. You know God lives in you and you love like he loves. Now, let's just take a moment. Let's take a moment to think about where this is interacting with us. Think about your relationships. Think about your life. Are you showing this love? Is it coming out from you? Do you have this confidence? And what do you need to do? What do you need to say to God? Let's take a moment to think about that and then I'll pray. Father God, we cry out for a deeper experience of your love. Thank you that you have shown us the definition of love, the supreme love. And we pray that we might Know that, treasure it, love it, be grateful for it, and be changed by it. And I pray that as we grasp that more and more, that love that is beyond comprehension, we pray that you'll make us confident as we see your love flowing out from us to a needy world. In Jesus' name, amen.